we will be looking at um, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, from 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, New Hope. Good to be with you all. Um, for those of, of you who are new, I'm Che An. I'm one of the elders here. Um, and thanks, Mo, for reading the scriptures. But before we dive into the scripture, uh, let's just ask the, ask the Lord again for help. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living and powerful. So, Lord, we pray that your word will have it, um, its powerful effect on, the, on our hearts and minds. And the Holy Spirit, come and convict us, convict our hearts, so that our hearts and minds will be centered upon you and hear you and be obedient to what your word is teaching us, Lord. Help me to go to the background and let your words come to the foreground today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been uh, studying the book of Philippians for the last several months. Uh, in fact, today is the uh, 13th sermon on this book. Um, and I hope that, uh, as I have been, you've been enjoying how God is teaching us through this letter, this letter to the Philippians by Paul, how relevant the topics are for us today. So before we go to today's passage that Mo read for, for, read for us, let's briefly review what we have covered so far. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison, not knowing when he will be executed. And Paul reminds um, the Philippian friends the joy that he has because they are carrying on the message of the gospel. So he's so happy they are partners with him in the gospel. He reminds them they are citizens of heaven and that they need to continue to follow the humble example of Jesus Christ and in his humility. But Paul is also concerned about their persecution and the suffering that they are, they are, continuing, they, they are facing as well as can, will continue to face, as well as false teaching by some false teachers. And last week, Pastor, Pastor Rob preached in the first part of chapter 4, where Paul entreats two Christian godly women to reconcile. So now we come to the last part of the letter in chapter 4. As Paul comes to the closing section of his letter, he gives a set of exhortations that he believes are really important to the Philippian friends on how they should live as followers of Jesus. So let me reread this short section again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
in your minds in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Paul gives four exhortations. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do not be anxious about anything. And let your requests be made known to God. And they seem like four unrelated imperatives. But as we'll see, these are all very closely related to one another and really important in how we are to live as followers of Jesus. Before we get into each of these verses or each of these exhortations, what stands out for you in what we just read? If you're like me, I'm guessing that the sentence that stands out is do not be anxious about anything. I mean, really, Paul, don't be anxious about anything. Even before the pandemic, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness, affecting about 40 million adult Americans every year. That's about 18% of the population. And things got worse during the pandemic. Last year's Gallup poll showed that now 60% of the adult population were plagued by daily stress and worry. And it's not just a pandemic. There are many things and many reasons in life that cause us to be anxious. Will I get into college that I want? Do I really have friends that care for me? Will I lose my job? Will I ever marry? Will my children follow Jesus or walk away from Christ? Will I have enough money for retirement? These are all important concerns. And sincere concerns that I've heard from many of the folks at our church. But the Greek word for anxious in verse 6 is meriam now, which means to be anxious, but also means to care for, that is to have genuine concerns. In fact, Paul used the same word in Philippians 2.20 when he talks about Timothy being genuinely concerned for your welfare. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the Corinthian church to have the same Miriam now that is care for one another. So we are to show concern for one another. Showing concern or care for one another is good. And I'm thankful at New Hope. Many of us, many of you show concern for one another, especially if someone is sick or someone is having a baby or just someone is in need. And that's just really encouraging. So Paul is not saying that whatever concerns the Philippians are trivial or that the concerns are bad. But Paul is warning against concerns or anxiety rising to the level such that it consumes the person or debilitates the person. Have you ever told someone who's worried and anxious, just don't worry, just be happy? That doesn't seem to work. It may even make the person more anxious, more anxious that he is anxious. You see, we don't have the ability in ourselves to just not worry. But instead, Paul offers something much better. What is the opposite of being anxious? It's having peace, peace regardless of circumstances. And Paul offers to his friends the peace of God that will guard their hearts and minds. So this afternoon, let's look at what this peace of God is and how we get this peace. 
So we'll start from looking at verse 7, the peace of God, which is a promise that God gives us. Let me read, read verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One commentator described this peace as follows. It is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. Confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. The key concept is being confident that God is in control, that I'm not in control. And such peace does not come naturally for us. That's why it's the peace that comes from God. It's supernatural. But before we can enjoy this peace of God, first we need peace with God. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, our sin, God was not our friend. We were God's enemies, and we were all destined to face God's wrath, the punishment for our sins, which is eternal punishment of hell. That's really uncomfortable for us to say, but sadly, it is true. We were God's enemies. And it's only because of God's grace that he chose to send his own son to take the punishment that we deserve. And this is the gospel. God sending his own son to take our place. So when we trust this God, when we receive his forgiveness, we become his friends. God becomes our friend, a friend of sinners. Romans 5, 1 tells us, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now if we have this peace with God, then we can enjoy this peace of God. Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul also said Jesus himself is the peace. And Jesus spoke quite often about peace while he was on earth. In fact, you may remember after his resurrection, when, he were, when the disciples were gathered in a locked room, scared of the persecution by the Jewish leaders, Jesus, Jesus appeared to them with a greeting, and these were his first words, peace be with you, peace be with you. This is a peace that Jesus also demonstrated when he was with the disciples earlier. Matthew 8 tells us, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. I don't know about you, you know, when we have heavy storm, like, we, like the ones we had a few weeks ago, it's hard to sleep because your heart is not peaceful. But Jesus had peace no storm can disturb. Even in the midst of, midst of storm, he can be sound asleep. We tend to think of peace as absence of turmoil. So, for example, when there's a war, we talk about having peace when the conflicts were cease. Uh, and when our children are making lots of noise in the house, we often tell them to be quiet so that we may have some peace. But the peace that Paul speaks is not absence of conflict. In fact, there were plenty of conflicts and turmoil among the Philippian church. There was a discord that existed in the church among two godly women, 
On top of that, they were being persecuted by the Romans and their Jewish leaders. And these troubles were not likely to go away. And yet the Philippians were to experience this peace of God in the middle of their difficulties. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's the presence of Jesus in us that gives us peace in the middle of tribulation, in the middle of tribulations. We're all saddened by what happened in Afghanistan a few weeks ago, or since a few weeks ago, and we need to continue to pray, pray for the country, for the small number of Christians in Afghanistan. Josh Manley, a pastor in UAE, has been in contact with a number of Christians in hiding in Afghanistan. And he writes in a recent article, a few days ago, it became clear they wouldn't be able to fly out of the country. One brother told me, I love Jesus and I trust him. Even if it comes to the end, I will praise his name. In the same article, Josh, Pastor Josh affirms that every Afghan Christian I've talked to wants to live. And every Afghan Christian I've talked to is prepared to die. Uh, these Afghan Christians, these Afghan brothers and sisters are demonstrating peace in the midst of dangerous and chaotic situation. And such peace passes all under human understanding. The world does not understand this. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid, not as the world gives. Indeed, the world wants and looks for various ways to find such peace. When you do a quick search, quick, uh, search on Amazon, you can find that there are over 60,000 books on anxiety. Some talk of emptying our minds. Many look to positive thinking as a way of trying to provide peace in our hearts. But we know that neither of these approaches work. There was an article in uh, August 21st issue of New York Times about a new head of chaplaincy at Harvard University. Harvard was, a, <coughs> Harvard was established in 1630 to educate pastors and they adopted the model, truth for Christ and the church. However, the chaplaincy program at Harvard recently elected a new head of the organization, Greg Epstein, who is surprisingly an atheist. Here's what it said in the article. We don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. We don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. His goal is to teach his students that the life struggle can be solved as we look to each other. But we know that this is foolishness. Each other cannot offer the type of peace that we need. Only the God who created the perfect world and will soon again restore the perfect world, only such God can give us the peace that we need. The peace that would not be rocked by failing to get a job, 
the peace that gives sure hope when hearing of diagnosis. Peace when you hear of peace that you can have even when you hear of relatives' death. And peace that would keep the hearts of Afghan Christians calm at the advance of the Taliban. As a more personal example, it's the kind of peace that a child, a little child can exhibit when walking on a busy street with many cars honking loudly. If that child was on his own, he would be scared and filled with anxiety. But as long as his dad, or in my case, his grandfather, is holding his hand and carrying him, he feels completely safe and in peace. His surroundings have not changed, yet he feels safe because he's in the arms of his dad or his, his grandfather. So when we realize that we are God's children, God's sons and daughters, and that he is in complete control of the universe, including every molecule in our bodies, we can rest and have peace that everything is okay. And this is how it was when Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin entered into the world. They had perfect peace as God walked with them and God provided for them everything that they needed. Peace comes not because of the strength of our faith, but because of the object of our faith. So how do we get this peace? Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So perhaps a better question is, how do we cultivate this fruit of the Spirit? How do we grow so that this fruit, peace, is, is, is displayed in our lives always? In today's passage, Paul tells us three ways we grow to have such peace. First, we have inward joy in the Lord. And second, we have outward gentleness towards everyone. And third, our lives are marked by upward prayer. So inward joy, outward gentleness, and upward prayer. So let's uh, look at the first point, which is verse 4. Paul tells the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, he says it twice to make sure they got the point. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this is not even the first time Paul says this. Chapter, one, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. When we look at our own lives, rejoice in many things, many circumstances and life events. We rejoice getting a new job that we've been hoping for. And yesterday, we rejoice in the wedding ceremony of Tito and Jenny. We rejoice at the birth of a child, seeing the first footsteps that the child takes. We rejoice at someone's graduation. Now, these are all wonderful life events that our God gives us as gifts. And we should rightly rejoice in these things. In fact, Paul himself talks about how he rejoiced in hearing of the faithfulness of the Philippian church. But what Paul says here is not about rejoicing in such and such circumstances. If that were the case, Paul was not in a situation to rejoice much. He was in a Roman prison not knowing when he would be executed. His friends were in Philippi, in Philippi were being persecuted 
and there were even internal conflicts within the church. Yet Paul says, rejoice. But pay close attention to this verse, what this says. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Paul knows that our circumstances change and will not always bring happiness. In fact, you'll probably agree that often our circumstances bring disappointments and hurts. Finding out your elderly parent is hospitalized with little hope of recovery does not bring much joy. And having a relational difficulty does not make one happy. Old Testament prophet Habakkuk realizing how the nation of Israel was going to be invaded by their enemies, starts out complaining to God why God would not help Israel against his enemies. But at the end, he realized that God is sovereign and his justice and his plans are far beyond one's comprehension. He has learned to wait and trust in God who works out all things for his glory. So he prays and worship. This is what it says. Though fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd, and, no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. His joy is in the God of his salvation not in circumstances which were, in fact, pretty awful. Remember the story of Jesus and his disciples when Jesus sent out in the early part of his ministry on earth 72 disciples, two by two, to every town to preach the gospel and to heal. The disciples came back ecstatic. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But Jesus corrects them. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and, any, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. So this Christian joy in the Lord comes from the sure hope an unchanging privilege that we have in God. In fact, Paul puts this first, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, right after mentioning that the names of his friends in Philippi are in the books of life. They can rejoice because their names are in the book of life. They have sure hope in God. Tim Keller points out opposite of joy is not sadness, opposite of joy is hopelessness. It's having nothing to rest in. Instead, the joy that we have is, is a deep kind of rejoicing, deep, confident joy that says, I've got the only thing that matters. It's like the parable that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. Or King David, who says in Psalm 4, You have put more joy in my heart 
than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So let's meditate together for a moment on what it will mean for us to rejoice in the Lord. We can certainly rejoice that we have been made right with God, that God chose to save us from the eternal punishment for our sins. We can rejoice that God is working to change us even now to make us holy for our character to reflect the character of Jesus. We can rejoice that God is sovereign of all things, even though we don't understand what's going on often. We can rejoice that we'll spend eternity with God in glory. And especially as I get older, we can rejoice that we'll have new bodies, that the new heaven and new earth will have no more disease, no more pandemic, no more death. There is much for us to rejoice in the Lord. And because we rejoice in the unchanging, all-powerful, all-loving God, we can rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. It's our knowledge of him and our hope in him that carries, that causes us to rejoice. And when our joy is firmly planted in Christ, then we can display that joy outward in how we relate to one another. So let's go to the next verse, verse 5, second point. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word translated reasonableness can also be translated as gentleness or being considerate or gentle forbearance with one another. Probably the best definition that I've read is that it really means graciousness. Being gracious to everyone that is being kind even to those who don't deserve it. So Paul is saying, as your joy is firmly planted in the Lord, you should be gracious towards others, to everyone. The only way other people will be able to see your internal joy in God is how we, how we are gracious to the others. So others see our internal joy in the Lord by our graciousness towards them. We may have people in our lives that we just don't feel comfortable with. Often they just rob us in the wrong way. This command is telling us, be gracious towards one another. If you have conflicts with certain people, be gracious towards them. It's really showing love to your neighbor. You'll note that verse 4 and 5 a really restatement of what Jesus told us as greatest commandments. That one, we are to love one another, and we are to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, that is, rejoice in the Lord, and love your neighbor as yourself, that is, be gentle, gracious towards one another. But this is a difficult command. Our nature is to fight back and or withdraw when being mistreated being patient and harsh when things don't seem to be agreeable to us. Some of the most difficult situations may be when we feel injustice has been done to us, 
whether it is by our society or by employer or even by friends and family members. Even in those cases, the command is telling us, be gracious towards one another. And in fact, if we can obey this command well, there will be very little relational conflicts. But this is hard. Just like the joy that we discussed a few minutes ago, this requires supernatural help. That's why Paul says in the next sentence, the Lord is at hand. And there's a double meaning on this expression, the Lord is at hand. It could mean that the time is near, that is, the Lord's return is near, so keep on growing in godly character to be ready to meet the Savior. But it could also mean that the distance or space is near, that the Lord is present with us now. And both meanings can truly apply in this context. Although for me, the fact that the, the Lord is present with me gives me more practical help. The Lord is present with us through the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts me and helps me to be gentle, even though by nature my tendency is to react and fight and try to win the argument. And this is why gentleness is mentioned along with joy and peace in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as we make effort to obey his command. And we've been recommending this book, um, Gentle and Lowly, which I would invite you to pick up if you haven't, um, by uh, author Dane Olin. The title of the book is based on the verse Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, the author is reminding us that the God revealed in the scripture is gentle and lowly in his very heart. Graciousness is exactly what God's heart is like. He was gracious towards us when we were his enemies. We disobeyed, rejected, and yet God in his graciousness sent his own son to die to take our place of punishment. And that's what we are to imitate. Bible scholar William Hendrickson says, the Christian is a man who reasons that it is far better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. Sweet reasonableness is an essential ingredient of true happiness. As we remember the gospel, as we remember how Jesus was gracious towards us, we would have the strength to be gentle and gracious towards everyone. So first, we have to inwardly rejoice in the Lord always, and then we'll have the power to be outwardly gracious towards everyone. And now we turn to the third point. We go upward to God in prayer about everything. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Pastor Rob opened a call to worship with a scripture that, uh, um, from Matthew that Jesus was teaching why we should not be anxious. And Paul is reiterating that in a way. Do not be anxious about anything. 
But what do you do when things worry you? What things worry you when you wake up in the morning? Is it your schoolwork, your job, your health, relationships, loneliness, finance, children? Whenever we, found our, whenever we find ourselves worrying or deeply concerned about something, usually our first thought, our tendency is to try to solve it ourselves. But the Bible is teaching us that we are first to go to God and pray. And when you think about it, most of the things that we worry about are outside of our control. And we have good reasons to be concerned about many things, but we have far better reason to take them to someone who loves us and who is infinitely more capable than we are. So instead of being anxious about specific issues or concerns, Paul Paul gives a prayer as an antidote to anxiety. We present our concerns to our God who promised that he will work all things for our good. You might ask, well, how does prayer really work as a solution to anxiety? Here's a simple analogy that might be helpful. It was helpful for me. Recently, I was doing a small renovation, I think some of you know, uh, of one of our bathrooms in the house. And this time, instead of hiring a plumber, I wanted to install the new toilet and new sink myself. Problem is, I've never done this before. So naturally, I was worried. I even dreamt that every time we flush, the toilet would leak. So I asked someone who is much more capable than I am. I asked Brian Hosa for help, (laughs) who is much more capable than I am. So when he agreed to come and help, my heart became calm as I knew that we would be able to do this right. So that's how it would be for us when we go to God in prayer with our worries. Instead of being burdened with worries, we take them to God of this creation, who loves us, who is infinitely more capable than we are. Paul is so confident of the power of prayer that he says in chapter 4, verse 19, Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Prayer orients our lives towards God and fills our hearts and minds with God. On the contrary, anxiety is rooted in self and fills our hearts and minds with our worries oriented around our inner self. Theologian uh, Alexander McLaren comments, the heart is never empty. If not full of God, it will be full of the world and of worldly care. The heart is never empty. If not full of God, it will be full of the world and of worldly care. Problem for us is that we tend to listen to our own voices and the voices of the world. Our heart gets full with our, on our, on our, our inner self, often our sinful inner self is telling us and what the world tells us. And that leaves no space for God. And that creates anxiousness as we most often do not have the power to control what happens around us. 
The psalmist described this situation well in, in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Then he realized that he can turn to God. And he preaches to himself in the next, next part of the verse. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So when we pray, we fill our minds with God, who he is and what he can do. George Mueller was an evangelist in the 1800s in England, and he also cared for thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of orphans through his orphanage ministry. He was an amazing man and a pastor. He was also a man of prayer. He knew that on his own, he could not care for all of the orphans. He needed God's help. Here's what he said. I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down, when I rise up, and the answers are always coming. The Eternal has recorded miracle after miracle of God's provision and answer prayers. We present our requests to the God who can provide all things, anything, in everything by prayer and supplication, Paul says. No requests are too small for our God. We tend to pray about big things, school, health, jobs, but the command is to pray about everything. Indeed, some requests may be trivial, and some may not even be good. But our Father knows, and he will answer us accordingly. We can be specific, be fully transparent, transparent before the Lord. God, I feel stuck, and I don't know what to do, how to get out of the current situation. God, please help. I'm struggling. God, I'm stressed about what's going on about my children. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, we cast all our anxieties, on, we cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And as we develop a discipline of prayer, God will also shape our hearts and our minds to be more aligned according to his will. Prayer may not always change the circumstances, but prayer will always change us and make us better. Let's look at this verse 6 again, uh, a little more carefully. Paul tells, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests remain known to God. The prayer and supplication should be made with thanksgiving. The order seems to be incorrect. We usually think of giving thanks to God after the prayers have been answered. After we have received wonderful blessings, often unexpected blessings. But notice that we are to be thankful even before any prayers have been answered. And brothers and sisters, that's the key. By praying with thanksgiving, we are submitting to the Lord who knows our needs better than we do. And we are trusting that he'll give us what we best need. And if he doesn't give us specifically what we ask, then we are thankful because he's going to give us something better. Thanksgiving reflects a humble attitude of the praying person. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, gives us a good example. 
Remember, King Darius decreed that any subject who prays to anyone except to the king would be thrown into the den of lions. But that did not change Daniel's prayer routine. He did what he always did every day. Daniel 6.10 tells us, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He prayed and gave thanks to God. He gave thanks before he knew God would shut the lion's mouth and keep him safe. God may not always answer your prayers immediately in miraculous ways, but regardless, we make our request to God with humble, thankful heart. This is a football season, so I'd like to share a brief testimony from a very accomplished NFL coach. Tom Landry was a coach for Dallas Cowboys for 29 years, from 1906 to 1988 and his team had 20 consecutive winning seasons. These were all records. And if you've ever seen him, seen a photo of him, you often see him standing on the sideline with his arms folded like this, looking relaxed, while out on the field, game was raging on. In one of his testimonies, he shares why he was able to keep composure under pressure. Here's what he said. Most of the athletes who fail to become winners are those athletes whose fears and anxieties prevent them from reaching their potential. I overcame my fears and anxieties by a commitment to something far greater than winning a football game, a commitment to Jesus Christ. Commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what gave Tom Landry peace. It's the peace of God that, it, that guarded Tom Landry's heart and mind. And it's the peace of God that will guard our hearts and minds. It's a gift from God given to us by Jesus as he promised to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So instead of being overly anxious about anything, we rejoice in the mighty God who is a faithful, loving father. And we show that we belong to this Father by being gracious towards everyone. And our Father wants us to come to him about everything as he will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that's the promise he grants us his peace. As we conclude, um, I want to read a, an old hymn that may be familiar to some of you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for this promise that we, have peace of, we can have peace of God that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and minds. Father, give us this peace. We pray for anyone here, especially who, do, who does not have this peace, peace with God. We pray that your Holy Spirit will convict his or her heart so they might be reconciled with you. For anyone that's anxious, 
that's burdened with various worries. Lord, convict us. Teach us to come to you in prayer because you love us and you, you love to hear our prayers and answer our prayers. And Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll grant us this peace that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.